Welcome back to the Colorado Switchblade. I'm your host, as always, Jason Van Tatum. Man, we had some crazy weather last night, didn't we? Here in Estes Park, Colorado, we got like a foot of snow downtown. It wasn't snow. It was it was hail, pebble-sized hail. Looked like little river rocks. But uh, yeah, they had to get the big uh, bulldozer excavator things out to clear out the main drag. And uh, I'm sure the videos have gone viral all over the place because, uh, you know, usually you don't see the people were doing... One of the town trustees was doing snow angels in the um, in the aftermath. I guess it would be a hail angel. And uh, man, I set up. I, I just got this brand new GoPro. There, I, I may I may be in talks about it, a documentary about my life story, but we're not going to talk about that right now. Um, but anyway, I, I I just happen to have this new GoPro. And I maybe like taking behind the scenes shots of all my big studio appearances and stuff um, and just life in general. But uh, the storm started rolling in and I've only seen lightning storms like this. I've seen one here before came through the others, came through the other side of town coming from the uh, south. And this one came from the north. And man, it can sometimes it looks like when you're up in the mountains, there's a big thunderhead over you. It can look like, you know, some sort of titan god of of lightning and thunder kind of just walking over these massive mountains that surround us. But I uh, got some great shots of the lightning. I'll include those. Um, I'm going to try to put together a montage, like, uh, you know, a, a, a time lapse of the storm as it comes through. Because I got the whole storm and I got like, there was a huge lightning bolt once everything kind of let loose, hit down near the uh, lake and fairgrounds. But I caught that and it's just, I mean, it's it's one of the shots of my lifetime. It's it's really good. I'm gonna use it as a cover photo for this. But yeah, I got that last night off my front deck, and um, yeah, the weather's just been crazy. Anyway, moving on. So uh, I promised last week that uh, once things got back to normalish, I was gonna get, start digging back into local news, and. Um, you know, I'm just so overwhelmed with everything. I mean, I'm I'm doing media spots. I did one yesterday out of Israel with a gal who who's uh, interviewed Obama when he was in office uh, at the White House, and and you know, like the biggest investigative journalist in in Israel on uh, one of their two big radio stations, and uh, you know, just doing doing still still doing media stuff. I'm I'm trying to to turn it off a little bit because I've got to get this book done. I've, I'm getting great work in. And uh, it's all on schedule, and I think maybe then a little ahead of schedule with the, the revamped timeline at this point. Um, but, uh, yeah, apparently my, my fiction books are starting to take off again, too. And here's what I want to say. Like, if you've bought one of my fiction books, you need to understand something <laughs> right now. Um, full disclosure, I wrote those to fund my holiday last year for my my daughters. You know, we... You know, we do all right with survival. We're old school poor. So, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty good at living off of next to nothing. Um, and that hasn't changed. I mean, just because someone suddenly blows up and everyone knows who they are doesn't mean you're starting to make all kinds of money. That's just not the case. But last year, I really, really felt it was uh, an important thing to um, to encourage my daughter's creative outlets because, you know, we're such a creative household, you know, winner. She got her first photo credit. She, I mean, she's doing photographic work that 
just off her phone, old broken iPhone, um, that I could print out and put into some of the top galleries of Denver, like right now, like last year. And Lux, my my 16-year-old, um, man, she is she's a musician. I mean, I I never got the music thing. My my little brother, uh, really great bass player, and I think he plays a host of instruments and been in some bands and um very involved with the music scene down in the FOCO area. But uh, I never got the music thing. The, 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 mo- the most extensive uh, music projects I've ever done is just like putting together the music with GarageBand for the bumper music and intro music on my podcasts and radio shows, um, which I love. I, I love doing it, but, you know, I'm a hack and I'm just using loops and I've got a MIDI that I use every now and then. But, yeah, I mean, me for me, it's it's always been art and writing. And, uh, you know, that's kind of the extent of it. So I, I got Lux a, a brand new, like, good guitar and little amp and stuff. It was a starter model. And I got Winter a um, kind of the entry-level digital SLR camera from Canon so that we could exchange lenses and, and share stuff. But I really wanted to, to have a, a holiday during you know, the tail end of the pandemic and still the world was very much upside down. Not that it isn't now, but uh, wanted to, to, you know, do something special for the holidays. So I wrote um, this book and, and put out the novella, the, the Colorado's Chance, uh, first book of the series, The Firewalker, which is based in Estes Park and, and takes place during the wildfires and the pandemic. And again, finding, following a um, aging punk rock journalist in a small mountain town, go figure. Right, what you know. Anyway, I put them out, and here's what I'm going to say. I am no editor. I'm barely a writer. I'm barely, you know, (laughs) I'm a hack at everything I do, but I'm a decent hack. I'm getting better. And um, so, you know, there are definitely some editing issues. The story is great. I love the story. These are like little adventures I can go on with my teenage daughters that, you know, can be in a supernatural world with monsters and, and magic and such. And, um, you know, I used to be, my girls loved going on real world adventures with me and, um, you know, they're, they're teenagers now and I'm lame and it doesn't matter. I'm just, whatever I do, whatever I say, I'm just, I'm not cool. And, uh, so, you know, it was a, it's a way for me to continue on with those adventures with my daughters. And, uh, so they, uh, there are some, some, uh, editorial issues just cause, uh, I needed to get it out and I, I, did it to fund it and it was successful. I was able to, to purchase those items for uh, Christmas and some stuff for uh, Shiloh and, and the family. Um, you know, we weren't completely destitute because of it, but you know, it, it, there are some issues. So now my literary agent, she does want to uh, kind of pull them back and run them through a proper editor with an actual, you know, actual editor. That's their profession and uh, reissue on to uh, an actual publisher seeing as how, um, you know, the world kind of knows who I am and is getting used to my writing. Um, so we're going to be pulling them back soon enough. And uh, so, yeah, I, I guess Ingram has picked them up and is distributing them. But I don't know how that works. I, I, I only distribute those through Amazon. And um, anyway, if you've gotten a copy, let me know. If you, if you send it out to me or you come to one of my book signings, that'll be happening, you know, towards February. Um, I'll be happy to sign it for you. They're going to be collector's items, I think, because, uh, you know, we'll, we'll reissue under a real publisher and editor. And eventually, um, you know, we won't have those issues. But the stories are great. You know, uh, 
because it's got great reviews and um, people really like them. They're waiting for the second full length novel, which I was, I was like 10, 12 chapters in before, um, before I got the contract signed with Skyhorse for the narrative nonfiction on the Oath Keepers. So uh, that all had to be put on hold. But once I'm done with like the big media push that's going to happen in February and, and all of that circus, then I'm going to get back to finishing that second full length novel because eventually I'd like to just, you know, I've said it before. I, I love writing fiction. It's just one of my gigs. And um, I think you can tell a lot more truth with fiction. And that's, that's my end game is to just like retire and be an old and decrepit and writing crazy fiction stories. Um, and I'm sure I'll come up with another uh, project before the holidays to try to fund the next holidays and uh, go from there. So, but anyway, um, yeah, that's kind of what's been going on in my life the last couple of days. So uh, we're going to get back into local politics today. The uh, town board had a meeting this last week, this week, and um, to help me out, uh, another infamous character here in Estes Park who's been on the show a lot. A lot of my uh, listeners really enjoy him because he, he really knows what he's talking about. He's a historian. He's a he's a medical doctor. He's, um, oh, someone who's very outspoken and not always in the most graceful of ways, but his intentions are always really good. He's always trying to give voice to those that may not have much of a voice in our community. And, um, you know, he's, he's, he's one of the characters, John Meissner's gonna, he's, he's stepped in and I want to take the moment to thank him because he's, uh, he really knows his stuff when it comes to these local politics, politics issues. And um, so he went and covered the uh, town board meeting. There are some things we need to be aware of if you're living in Estes Park. So uh, we're going to go ahead and and go through that. We got a little quick intro interview with him. It'll be a longer episode today. I figured I'd better make up for, you know, the one episode a week thing while I was going through the congressional hearings. So um, be a little longer today, but it's all great stuff. We've got some interviews with, uh, we got the, the original interview with John and I, and then uh, he went ahead and interviewed some people at the town hall meeting and after and covered that. And we've got some audio clips of that as well. So uh, we're going to jump into that here in a second. And it's got some great information, some stuff that isn't necessarily being covered in the other news outlets. Um, that's the advantage of, you know, having someone going down that's so knowledgeable and, um, you know, can see what's going on. So, um, Apparently, my my testifying before Congress was in uh, local newsworthy. I mean, everywhere else in the world was covering it and whatnot, but our our local town did not not even uh, a mention um, that uh, a local had testified at such a historic um, event. But you know, I, I'm not too worried about that. I mean, I, I understand why it's just kind of um, petty, I think, but it makes you wonder. It makes me wonder anyway, what else have specifically the, the, the newspaper of record? I'm not talking about S Spark News. I actually like what they're doing and, you know, they are, they're doing what they're doing and it's, it's its own gig. Um, but, you know, when you're claiming to be the newspaper of record and you don't cover events and this, this will tie into some of the stories we're working on. We're really digging down into the treatment of J1 visa workers um, and I now have a team of people working on it, and this will probably begin to make national news because uh, there are some, you know, I've got a lot of friends that are, are national level investigative journalists now, and, you know, they're, they're taking interest in some of the, the, my, my projects that I've been working on, my, my own personal passion projects. 
Um, so we're really going to be digging into how J-1 visa workers and some of these seasonal workers are, are treated um, so poorly at times by uh, the, the people that are, are, are major employers around the area. Well, I'm not going to get into it now. Again, we've got to run it all by legal team, and we're, we just want to make sure we have everything in a row before that happens. Um, all our ducks, getting them in a row. But uh, yeah, so what I'm mentioning is, you know, how certain topics are not covered in town and, and it'll tie into that as well, because this has never been covered in town here uh, previously. And there've been some pretty egregious things that have happened that in my opinion should have been covered, but you know, I wasn't working for them at the time. And I think even if I was uh, it, it just would never have seen the light of day. So um, we're going to, that'll be another podcast down the road. Um. So let's uh, let's go ahead and um, pay the bills. And uh, I, I really want to thank Jenna with uh, the Historic Park Theater and the um, Real Mountain Theater here in town. Um, actually, Nope is playing this week, and that's something I really want to see. That That's a movie I'm going to probably go to the theater for and uh, watch it in person because uh, that looks really interesting. It looks right up my alley. Um some of the live events that are coming up, Seven Nations is going to be returning. Um, and if you've never seen them, they're really a show you got to get out and see. Um, they're kind of the ultimate original uh, Celtic rock band. And um, they've got a long history with the, um, with the Park Theater. They're always, they're always uh, stopping by when they're touring. And, um, you know, if you haven't checked them out, they've got a good overview Um on the uh, historic park theater. So if you just click on the banner, um, that's, that's going on. Uh, you can, you can kind of see the rundown and just Google them. Like, yeah, they've got some really good stuff. So, um, they're really excited to be coming to town. And, uh, so definitely check it out. They're going to be here on the 23rd and 24th of September. So coming up and, uh, yeah, get your tickets now. Um, they start at 25 bucks. And um, Friday, September 23rd, Saturday, September 24th, they, they hit the stage at 8 p.m. All right. Well, let's also, if you haven't checked out their membership program, like you can spend uh, like a streaming service, just a small amount every month and get to go to every movie for free. This is great if you got family, kids, you want something for them to do. All right, let's start off with this interview with John Meissner, and he's going to kind of introduce what he's covering. Hey, folks, this is Jason Van Tatenhove, and we are here with John Meissner. John has kindly and graciously uh, stepped up to help me with some of the local coverage while I'm getting my book deadline done. And last night, he went ahead and attended the town board meeting. And uh, John, tell us, tell us a little bit more about what you uh, found there. Yeah, so I attend the town boarding meetings on a regular basis, and town board meetings are kind of for suckers. There's about three of us that ever sit out there in the audience, but it's something where I want to know what's going on, and without having you know, the packet to read it, which is generally 150 pages, I'd rather just watch the movie, the two-hour presentation, uh, and so it's easy for me just to go to the town board, and then I kind of have this running battle right now where I'm leaving public comments, and I think the trustees are starting to recognize this every time, but they're legitimate comments. They're, they're reasonable comments. And our local paper of record is pretending like there's no public comment ever given. Um, the paper, uh, the Trail Gazette, covers town board meetings, and Tim had been doing a good job of it. Uh, it's really more of a transcript when Tim does it. 
So just for the general public, and I know there's not a lot of people watching town board meetings on YouTube, but it's also available and probably archived on YouTube. So if anything that, that comes out of this report uh, you have questions about, you can always go back and just watch it on YouTube. Uh, the town itself, uh, the staff publishes uh, or you know produces meeting minutes, which are just summaries. So again, won't be the full blow-by-blow uh, -blow account. But I like to go to the town board meetings myself because when you're watching it on YouTube, it's only one camera. And so you don't see what's really going on in the room or what other trustees are reacting to a trustee or the town administrator saying. So, and sometimes there's real drama. And so <laughs> occasionally it's kind of fun to be there to see two trustees kind of launching into each other. And again, everybody stands back and says, oh, that's not what town government is. Actually, I think that is what town government is. And I, I, I don't you know, relish it, but I like to see when there's some back and forth because it tells me these issues haven't been decided in advance. And these trustees aren't calling each other before the meeting and saying, how are you going to vote? In general, most things are, are going to be unanimous votes. That's what the town uh, wants to present as its face forward that, hey, we all came together and agreed on this. And there is policy that says once we've made these decisions, trustees have to go along with them and not speak out against them uh, once a decision has been made. So last night's meeting, fairly straightforward. Most of the votes were either 6-0 or 5-1. Or In one case, we were missing two trustees last night, including our mayor. The mayor was out of town. She was on vacation. She made it well known that she was going to be gone. I thought she was going to be back by the time the meeting occurred, but she wasn't. Uh, but she's, uh, again, been responding to everybody as best she can while she's on vacation. And then uh, another trustee was gone. And then Trustee McAlpine uh, was a little bit late. So we were close to not even having a quorum. But once trust, Trustee McAlpine uh, arrived, then we had enough people where we could take votes. So um, there was a um, proclamation at the beginning for the... Uh, League of Women Voters is having a recycle, so that everyone should keep that in mind because this is electronic equipment and microwaves oh, yeah. and things that are not legal to put in landfill, and so that's coming out. So they do a great job. And the room was full with all of the League of Women Voters because they were there for the proclamation. Once that proclamation was given by the mayor pro tem, they left. And so, it's an, again, it's people who had to be there because they were going to present for the town. And there's always people who are giving their book reports about here's what's coming up with the Planning Commission or here's what's coming up with whatever the department has to be presenting and, and asking things for action items. So again, it was just two other people besides me that were in the audience, uh, and it was just a very straightforward meeting. But the two things of interest that I thought were very interesting that were not scripted, one of them was the mayor pro tem, who is uh, Scott Webermeyer, said uh, w without any you know advanced knowledge that this was going to happen, he'd like to re-explore a vote that took place last year and an ordinance that was passed before the election uh, in April um, about people who have uh, workforce, I'm sorry, people who have um, vacation, vacation rentals. rentals, the short-term rentals, they were going to be, in, in a sense, penalized because they're taking some of those homes off the market for the workforce housing, and so they were going to be charged a fee. And it wasn't really a contentious issue. There were a lot of vacation rental owners who showed up at the time and yeah, said, I went to that Okay, I don't, 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 don't do this to me. I may not be able to afford living up here if you do this. Um, and so, but the vote itself was not was not contentious. It was four to two, and and that time Trustee Sanak was out of town, and I don't know how she would have voted. Um, but it's not like one vote is now going to. They're going to need three votes to change. And right. so Scott, and that fee was nominal. I mean, it 
really wasn't. <laughs> it's not. It's based on how much how how much people charge per night to stay up there. And I know their expenses, and I know that they provide other services, and they shop in our stores, and all of those things. I don't think any of them are legitimately hurt. But but again, that's my opinion. I, and we can go through this discussion because we're going to go through this discussion no, again. Gonna, and I, you know, yeah. on that issue, I definitely think, you know, these are many of these people have two or three houses. Yeah. You know, yeah. while we have people who are here trying to survive, yeah. living, you know, too many in a room. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, I, I think it's... it's a, and, and so for their ox to be Gordon, for there to be complaining about it uh, is, is crocodile tears for me. But again... I think there's a, the feeling in town that, oh, if we can shift this over to a different group, and that being the tourists that come up, our guests that stay in lodging that this new bill allows from the state, and if we vote on that and approve it, then let's not charge anybody or, or, or put anybody else on the, on the skewer. Uh, again, I love Trustee Marching saying this should be a multi-pronged approach, and it should be. And it needs to be. And so... What happened as a result of that was not that it's going to be brought up as just a, um, a study session item. This is going to be a discussion item, and I think it will then move to another vote. And my concern about that is, why relitigate things that we've always, not that long ago, we just yeah. voted on this. And there haven't been enough trustees that have changed on the board to make the vote come out. Any It may change one vote different, but I, I don't think so again, but we'll see because we're going to go down the pike on this. Um, and so it was, it was intriguing, it was interesting that someone who was outvoted four to two um, said, hey, let's relook at this again. And, yeah. and the other trustees were generous and say, all right, I'm fine to relook at it. Uh, and so we'll, we'll next month have a relook at this because BEP is going to issue what they want to put as ballot language for the November vote on this State Bill 1117 and what the uh, additional pillow tax will be. And, but again, before we even vote on that, they're going to re relook at this, which is 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 confusing, strange to me. I gotta wonder about the motivation and the timing. The motivation is again sometimes when when board members lose things and have to answer to their constituents, they say, "Hey, maybe we can bring this back on." And you know, again, I never win anything in town, so it's like the few things that I'm like, I really agreed yeah, with that, I mean, and I thought that was a great thing. It's like, a lot better these days. I mean, it's, and, it's, and yet, it's still, oh my gosh, we didn't bury this; it's coming back as an issue. So, I, I, I applaud Trustee Marching for fighting and not backing down and saying it could have been a lot worse what we charged you. The state may come down with something that's going to be a lot worse, so you ought to be happy that we're just letting you go with this. Because they commissioned the study, we spent the money on it, it's clear that, that housing has been removed from that pool of things that we could do for long-term rentals or, you know, so again, for people who want to live and work up here or for uh, the workforce housing that desperately needs it. So that was an interesting thing. And then the second thing that was a surprise... Yeah, it was this again, is a big one. This is going to affect some people. Oh, yeah. The, the second one, the surprise, um, was, well, that, that, was on the, that was already on the agenda. The, uh, something that was a discussion item about about land that was becoming available out on Mary's Lake Road, uh, and it's over 11 acres, and it could be used for workforce housing, that suddenly got withdrawn from the market. The Housing Authority brought this for, to the board as a, as a discussion item because they said, hey, we don't have enough money. If we need, we can give them earnest money, but if we want to really start pushing forward with giving them, you know, 30% of what they're asking, we don't have that money, and so we need to have the town board authorize that. And so this is this was a discussion. What what was the surprising thing was in that case was, it was on the market, and then suddenly it was off the market. And now they're saying, and it may come back on the market again. 
So it's a little bit confusing, but I think it, it, the discussion was very good. Every trustee there and our town administrator and our assistant town administrator and our town attorney entered the discussion about what should we do if something like this comes up again? Can we move quickly yeah. to seal something where we desperately need it? The land yeah, is put the money is aside there. and, 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 and so have, have, have a it. bigger fund so that we can, you know, in good faith say, we're interested in this and here's some money that backs up our yeah. interest. And the Housing Authority is in a bit of a transitory period as far as upper leadership. Goes. Absolutely, absolutely. A new uh, director, both the old director and the new director were in the audience last night. The new director, you can hear uh, very compelling reasons why they, they need to be more nimble on this. Again, Trustee Sanak, who hasn't been, and again, this is just my opinion, in the last two meetings at all participatory, just kind of sitting there, last night, finally, Trustee Sanak reverted to what Trustee Sanak is, which is a good spokesperson and bringing up valid points about, look, if this thing's only available for 24 hours, like if your used car is, hey, you got to move on this quickly, maybe we don't want to, you know, get into those kind of situations. Yeah. It's the issue of, do we have two weeks' time be between a board meeting to, to authorize this, or should we call a special, you know, a 24-hour, get all the trustees together, and, and if it takes, you know, it, if we don't even have 24 hours to make a decision, probably the town shouldn't be ten spending taxpayer money. Yeah, and we don't want to be so, put in any high-pressure yeah, sales. Yeah, we want, yeah, we yeah. want to plan this out. Right. You want to have a little bit of time to do your due diligence, to look at the property, to see what's going on with it. And so that's a really good discussion. And so I was, I was impressed by how, again, the trustees, good God, when they can get involved and they're prepared, um, and, and again, they're they're very up to speed on this issue. We're going to land bank, and we're going to we're going to find land outside of Estes Park, and then potentially annex it so it becomes part of Estes Park, which I'm all for. Again, we're as as the town administrator said, we're not growing more land. There's no more land available. So when it becomes available, regardless of where it is, we should reach out and, and explore whether we can have this for workforce housing, which is a definite change from two or three town boards ago, when Trustee Elrod was saying, we've got to divest ourselves of all these properties. What is the town doing being a landlord for all of these properties? Now it becomes clear that maybe that was a good thing to start having those and keeping them on the rolls of the town. Uh, um, we, and then We need it. We absolutely need it. It's a critical need. There, there was a vote. Again, it wasn't a surprise. It's related to the loop. It's related to noise. It's related to the cost. Uh, versus having this project go on for three years now that the loop is officially funded and, and they again approved a five hundred thousand uh, dollar another uh, increment given from the town to move this forward so that bids can go out in september about are we going to work round the clock in the summer uh, to get this thing done faster so it doesn't go farther out and we can get this done in one perhaps two years but it's going to be a tremendous, tremendous burden on the local residents to be hearing construction noise 24 hours a day. Um, and so there was hand-wringing. There was uh, one of the trustees, Kirby Houston, lives up in the neighborhood and said, every one of my neighbors is going to come and say, why did you vote the way you voted? She was able to get an amendment that extended the people who need to be told this, that this is going to happen from 500 feet away to 1,000 feet away. Noise is going to travel. Sound's going to travel a lot farther than that. There's going to be people yeah, that are... Yeah, I mean, that, that's, yeah. that's nothing. And, and as again, somebody brought up, in the summer, you sleep with your windows open because you like the cool. Yeah. And so, and the people on Davis... A lot Davis, of us don't have air conditioner. Don't have that, air conditioning. Yeah. Or you like to hear the river, you know, running yeah. beside you if you're lucky enough to be down close to one of the rivers. 
And so instead, you're going to hear jackhammers, and you're going to hear equipment, and you're going to hear trucks dumping rocks. Uh, and so, and it's going to go on, and they've no, no apologies from, from the, the crew that's involved. Every evening, weekdays, weekends, every night, they're going to push forward with this to get it done. 24 7. Now, the, and the, what neighborhoods is this affecting? So it's, it's definitely going to affect Moraine Avenue. Okay. And that was the big discussion because there's a, a huge residential area on Davis Hill. Yeah. Nobody brought up that right opposite that there are people living along Riverside yeah, that are also going to be just, in the They're just down kind of out of sight. Yeah. So, and the work's going to ultimately go down onto Riverside to do this. And so, but the people on Davis Hill who are already kind of uh, on tenterhooks because they've got two... Uh, establishments that that sometimes play music in right. not into the wee hours, but again, yeah, they're pretty. They're, they've been pretty good with just yeah, you know shutting yeah. down at like nine. I yeah, mean, yeah. So I, I, I'm I, impressed, and I've actually liked yeah. the atmosphere. Yeah. No, I I definitely think the the two groups that they've mentioned as as potential problems have done everything they can to shut things down. Yeah. There's still going to be an issue with. Again, people just want to be, some of them are retired and want to be in bed by 8 o'clock. So that's just going to be something that's about, this is going to be a different issue because this is not something you can shut down. No. And so you can warn as many people, you can go and hang hooks on doors and say, we're doing this, you can get a schedule. I, I and again, you can hear my public comment, I actually said we ought to have an ambassador going out and providing sound protection, uh, noise canceling. Again, let's set up a fund so because there will be some people who say, I can't stand this, and you've got to do something for me. And, and some of them will have the option to, to move, you know, temporarily out of town, find somebody else who they can stay with that's farther away from the noise. But the vacation rental homes, yeah. they're not going to tell every one of their people, hey, you're coming up into a situation where it's going to be yeah, uncomfortable for you. There. Yeah. And so I, I also said, let's record what the worst possible sound is for an hour, and let's just play that one evening, like a week before, so everybody knows this is potentially how bad it's going to be. So the vote came, um, again, unanimous with that amendment. Um, I don't think the, the town itself has the staff to go out and warn every single pe person or household within 1,000 feet. That's three and a half football fields. That's, that's a big area for them to cover. But I think, again, social media, anything, Facebook, all of this stuff, it needs to get out. Signage. This is coming, and people need to know. There was no one from Davis Hill there besides one of our trustees to say, I'm concerned about and this. And did our local paper record cover it at all? I don't know. Tim had been doing a good job, but he's no longer covering town board matters. As far as getting something out quickly, again, it was just mostly a transcript. He didn't talk to any of the individual trustees. I went up afterwards and talked to some of the trustees about some of the issues that came up. Um, but we have, And he was, I think, he got it out so quickly because I think he was using the packet uh, and sometimes wasn't even listening to the testimony. And, and in one case, you know, sadly, he said, oh, this uh, issue passed or this ordinance passed when it actually had been tabled in the actual meeting. So Tim's not doing it. I think no one was in attendance from the Trail Gazette. The paper comes out, the Wednesday paper comes out Tuesday anyway, Tuesday yeah. evening, so they can't cover. I've looked on Facebook today. There's no, there's no mention. This is the only way for people, again, to, to recognize, I'm afraid, oh, things are happening at, at the town board level that maybe we should be paying more attention to. And so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad that you're interested in covering it. I will be there every two weeks. Again, part of it is because I just like to, to be and see what's going on. And I, it's easier for me to, rather than read it, just to see it in person and see, oh, this is how the town board acts. Uh, I wish others would, would come. I wish others who give great public comment written uh, prior to the meeting, would show up and give it in person. It's so much more impactful when you come and speak in front of the trustees 
and they say, this person took the time and was concerned enough. Now, again, you don't win. Sometimes you don't. You, I've, I've said numerous issues where I'm on the wrong side of it. But it's still the, the, the idea of just going and getting it on record and saying, Absolutely. Participating in our civic and so, process. And so if, if 22 people, like as, as happened with the vacation rentals, show up and they say, what, what, what was the difference? We showed up and we spoke. The difference was you came up and, and you participated in democracy and you made it known the way you felt. And you put some trustees on the spot who had to say, well, the reason I'm voting the other way is because I have people that I talked to that didn't want to come to the town board or I'm representing a different group of folks than what you are. And 22 people is not a majority. And that's the thing. 500 and 600 and 1,000 people are the majority on certain issues in town. And so 22, it's admirable because, again, most times it's one or two people. As a Muslim, I went to that board meeting. as the yeah. fullest I've ever seen the board. Yeah. And so there's... But granted, I haven't been to as many meetings. <laughs> well, there's, there's issues that come generally about once a year. You can count on the board, the, the town board, every seat being filled because they'll come up with an issue. And summer tends to be a little quieter. That doesn't mean that there aren't important issues being decided on, both in the study sessions and where I'm afraid a little bit more uh, decisions are made than should be, uh, and at the actual town board meeting where, you know, again, I can pound all I want on a desk and say there need, needs to be more people involved in our local government. I think there's a lot of board members that, and there's a lot of people that volunteer, and maybe they don't go to the board meetings because it's already known. They've already, they already know what's going to happen, so why even show up? But I do think there's a group that, that always is disappointed because they said, oh, I didn't know this was happening. Well, it was right there in a packet that you can look on the town website to, and, and do and know well in advance, the, a week before practically, here's what's coming up. Uh, and you can come in and, you know, just, just have your say. It's three minutes where you can go on record and, and 100 years from now, you may have been the person that was right on this. And you may have been the only person that was on record as saying it. And, uh, you know, that's important. I've, I've been reading a book about a, an ambassador that was definitely uh, over in Berlin uh, early uh, at the time when, when Hitler could have been stopped. Right. And initially was somewhat anti-Semitic, but then as, as were a lot of non-Jewish people at the time in the United States, very quickly recognized these aren't a bunch of active, in, you know, the, the, the brown shirts were not, you know, oh, we're all for the glory of, of, of Germany, and we're all out there exercising and making ourselves better. These were thugs that were beating up on, on a lot of different minorities at the time. And so he started to fire off letter after letter of, we have got to stop being isolation on this. This is a dangerous man, and we've got to start speaking out in the United States and here in, in Berlin this is not accidental. These people are going after certain minorities and beating them up or imprisoning them or, you know, interrogating them for no reason. And so that was in 33 and 34. And then when he left in 37, 38, went on tours all over the night. We still hadn't entered the war yet. And he was saying, here's what Hitler's going to do. Here's the countries he's going to take over. And he was, he, you know, bang, 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 right, right, right. And so there's always conflict. And he had conflict with the State Department because he was not a... a a typical ambassador. He did not rise up through those ranks. He was a historian. But again, it's just, it's reassuring to know that we had people back then that knew what was going on and were saying it the same way here. If you're, if you're worried about things, issues, either side. Again, I'm not saying that I'm right on any of the stuff that I'm, that I'm commenting on. Uh, um, it's just nice to have that, that discourse and that exchange so we know where we stand and we can go forward saying everybody had their say. Well, one democracy, final thing, democracy relies on that. Yeah. And one final thing, the comp plan. 
we're going to have a comp plan that's going to have, you know, focus on certain issues and leave out other issues. And you've got a chance to go to the school next month, early next month, and leave some response. Now, they may not incorporate it, but again, just go and say, here's what's of concern to me for the next 25 years. Here's what we need to be emphasizing versus what you're emphasizing right now. And so I just strongly encourage people, uh, it's, it's, it's not hard. Uh, you'll never be um, openly criticized. You may, you're never going to be openly made fun of. And I've worked very hard to make that, that very clear to the trustees for all the years I've attended. Do not laugh at people when they stand up and say things. Do not shake their, your head. This is our government, and everyone has a say in it. And so, and they've gotten better. And again, I think, I think most of the trustees recognize that these are their constituents, and whether they agree or disagree, they have to at least um, give them their time, not argue with them, not fire back at them, just say, I appreciate you coming up and, and, and giving your comments. Town board meeting in two weeks, and so as I say, if, we, if, if, if anything, some more people ought to show up because there'll be some more topics that will be of relevance to their lives and to their incomes and to their livelihoods. So, Well, I just want to say thank you for going and covering it, and I, I can tell you that, and I've told it to you before, but a lot of my listeners are very appreciative of your voice here in this community, and uh, they reach out to me about wanting to get you on more, so I really yeah. appreciate the fact that you're willing yeah. to do that. Yeah, and again, thank you. I'm a contrarian, and so there's some things that I just take on uh, because they, they're underrepresented or because that's the minority and I want the minority voice to be heard. Uh, and I'm not going to apologize for it and I'm not going to stand down, you know, and say, oh, yeah, I, to, to, I need to go along to get along. So I appreciate that people understand I'm not an evil person. I'm not a bad person. If you disagree with me, I'm happy to sit down with you. Um, and it will be, you know, there will be no fisticuffs. There will be no anger. There will be no threats. Um, I, I value how other people think. And listen, I've had views that have changed and moderated from the time I was in high school until college until now. You can grow and progress and, and, and become a different person. And so I'm not saying I'm right and that I've suddenly achieved the acme of perfection, uh, but we all got to work at it. And so yeah, that's what I encourage people to I know I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we all are. And so, um, you know, sometimes uh, people get, get offended because I, I tip over their hobby horse. I, I push it, the things that they're really supporting. But I just wanted them to look at it from other sides. And I think, as I say, last night, and, and if, the, if the recording is good, you'll see some acknowledgement of, of that was a valid point. And some trustees saying, thank you for bringing that up, who are generally on opposite sides and, and fight with each other. And that's what I think we should be striving for. Yeah. Well, maybe they'll get an owl because that'll help some of the... The things we're talking about. Now, like, there are these new little webcam things. Okay. <laughs> it shows everyone now. Yeah. Well, and, right. And so, with, with, with and I'm not, <laughs> I'm glad they film it. I, I'm actually glad they film it. Um, and not a Harry somebody Potter back out. in the booth. I got gotcha. you. <laughs> but it just shows you the person at the podium. And then it just switches back generally to the mayor or if one of the trustees is talking. You got to be in the theater to see yeah, all of the action yeah. because. We've got a panorama of people on the board and the administrator and then the police. And so there's been one time when it got pretty rowdy in there and the police kind of just started looking over the room. 
And so, you know, it's an expense, and I, God, I hope we never have anything that requires the police to, to jump into action, but it's just part of the theater of being in that room. So. I, I remember the first meeting I ever went to, you know, because I, I do look a little bit different, and, okay. you know, I yeah. definitely had the, yeah. the, the police officer standing there checking me out until yeah. I walked up yeah. and introduced myself. And, yeah, you know. and that's when everything <laughs> just, just relaxes. But you're right. I mean, they scan the room, and they will pick that's up their people. Job. That's their job. That's their job. I'm glad they're there. And they, they will always go over to people that maybe are like, I haven't seen you before, and you look like you're a little angry or... Yeah, you've got maybe an issue that, and so, but very quickly they realize this is not going to be a problem. Yeah, yeah. And so, and the officer last night left halfway through because he just saw the, he, he read the audience. And so, yeah, I hope we never get to that point. But again, if it does, we'll deal with it because there's, there's issues that we shouldn't be apologizing for if we're mad about and going, it's okay to get mad at the town board meeting if you are, are being, you know, your livelihood's being threatened. I'm, I'm not going to stop anybody from saying, because uh, it's our government. And yeah. so, yeah. So, all right. Well, thanks, thanks, John. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. And so we'll talk to you later. All right. That was our quick pre-interview with John. I guess it wasn't that quick. But I am going to include uh, the part of the town hall meeting, specifically the part where they're talking about the sound issues that are going to be uh, happening in Estes Park. It's going to be kind of up up near the barrel and full throttle and that 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 section there is really where it's going to be happening now this is 40 minutes worth of stuff but uh it will have an impact on people so if if you have a vacation home that you're renting out during the summertime um, if you live in that neighborhood it could affect your day-to-day life and not only during the day but during the night it's going to be a 24-hour thing so i thought it was important to just include it in its entirety and um, you can also find this. The video should be up on the town webpage. I think they've got a YouTube channel that they post everything up to. So you can go back and reference to it. I'll see if I can find the link for that and put it into the show notes. And uh, that's going to be it for the day. So um, I want to thank you again for joining us here on the Colorado Switchblade. And uh, if you want to listen to the town hall meeting, you can. They've got some um, some great back and forth there. And you can kind of hear the the governance of our town in action. So always something I encourage people to do is to plug in and and actually, if you can't go live and and be a part of these town meetings, then at least go back and and watch the relevant ones that that are pertinent to your life here in the Estes Valley. All right, folks, I'm going to sign off here and uh, I hope you have a great rest of your week. Correct. Okay, so action item one, which would be at this next order of business, will be a public hearing on action item one, ordinance 14-22, amending chapter 8-06 of the Estes Park Municipal Code regarding noise. At this hearing, the Board of Trustees shall consider information presented by the public hearing from town staff, public comment, and written comments received on the item. Any member of the board may ask questions at any stage of the public hearing, which may be responded to at that time. The mayor now declares the public hearing open and calls for the staff report. Good evening, Mayor Postman, and Trustees. Guys, turn on your mic, please. It's catching. Careful. Yes. Good evening, Mayor Pro Tem, Blair Meyer, and Trustees. Greg Mahona, Director of Public Works, excuse me, with the town. And uh, might as well get comfortable. Director of 
Garner presented three items, and I've got three as well. So <laughs> here we here we go. Uh, the first two are follow-up actions on issues that we discussed with you uh, in May at our study session update regarding the downtown Estes Loop. Uh, this uh, tonight we have with us uh, Neil Ogden, the project manager of Central Federal Lands Highway Division. If we have any questions uh, for CFL. Uh, this first item is an amendment, a proposed amendment to our, our municipal code, and specifically Title Eight of the code that pertains to noise generated by construction, maintenance, or repair activities in the public right-of-way. The catalyst for this discussion is concern regarding the long duration construction period that's been forecast for the downtown Estes Loop. We talked about this at the study session. Construction management teams from both Central Federal Lands and from the design consultant uh, put their heads together and, and really mapped through, built the project in their minds and on paper, so to speak. And given the restrictions that Estes Park has put on allowance of daytime construction in the downtown core in the summer, they're forecasting that the, the completion of the work would extend through the summer of 2025. That raised a lot of anxiety on my part uh, and on the part of others. So the team has continu continued to uh, work on alternative solutions to that. And uh, what we're gonna talk about uh, tonight is uh, really an exercise in pain management. The proposal is, it consists of, uh, really there's three actions here that the team has looked at to address uh, the potential long duration of the project. Uh, the first action would be by the town, and that would be the allowance of construction during the night. Uh, the second action, unrelated to this particular uh, decision by the town board, but related to the issue, would be the early completion uh, incentive from the highway department to, excuse me, from central federal lands to the contractor, the motive bay, acceleration and creativity in scheduling their work. And then a third potential action from our CDOT partner would be potential daytime closures and detours on Rain Avenue at Craig's Drive to allow expedient construction of the roundabout at that intersection. So all three agencies are putting their minds together to try to find solutions to shorten the construction time frame. So the proposal tonight uh, is a modification to our, our Title Eight of, of our town of our town code, and it would uh, grant the town engineer the authority to issue a right of way work permit to permit nighttime construction if certain criteria are satisfied. And the first one is that this determination needs to be made that there's a sound, justifiable reason and a public benefit to incur the pain of nighttime construction instead of the pain of longer duration daytime construction. So there's a, uh, an offsetting evaluation of detrimental impacts. The second litmus test is the contractor needs to prepare an appropriate lighting plan to show compliance uh, with our uh, dark sky light ordinances to make sure that we don't come up with an array of lighting it violates that, that particular requirement. And then lastly, uh, 
the context for this ordinance would be notification to the impacted property owners and to our police department, a minimum of 48 hours prior to beginning the work and to all those tenants that uh, live or stay within 48, excuse me, within 500 feet of the nighttime work zone. So the advantages, uh, I talked about that briefly, it's essentially motivated by a desire to expedite, expedite completion of the downtown Estes Loop. A shorter overall construction disruption period for any project, and this is a, a broader approach and it, the action is not limited specifically to the downtown or specifically to the downtown Estes Loop. Uh, the issue and the concern of projects that may be bumping up against winter weather limitations uh, may create context for this discussion for our office to meet with the contractor, talk about what are the trade-offs and is there a justification for that particular project at that particular location. So there's a, there's a broadness to this particular proposal. And uh, thirdly, Shorter construction duration typically translates to lower construction costs on projects. Uh, the disadvantage is, is pretty, pretty apparent. It's disruptive. It's people are, uh, often live close to construction zones, and you've got that that annoyance of nighttime noise and sleep disruption. We presented this proposal to our transportation advisory board uh, at our July 20th meeting. And the tab advocated strongly for ideas to shorten the duration of the construction period. At the same time, they expressed concern over the breadth of this. And there was concern that this might drift into becoming the new normal in Estes Park. And my response to that is, um, I, I, I'm confident that would not be the case. And we have some specific criteria that have to be met before these types of approvals would be issued. And if there was concern, regarding the, the judgment calls that come out of public works. We have the town administrator, we have the public works director, we have the town board and to really bring those, those concerns to the forefront and we can modify our decision-making criteria if it appears to be a problem. Uh, so I understand the, the, the angst about this becoming common. I'm not convinced that that would be uh, the case. So the Public Works staff is recommending adoption of, of Ordinance 14-2022. Uh, there's not a specific identifiable cost element, uh, a numeric value that I can give you tonight, uh, but generally speaking, if we can shorten the construction duration, that's, that's, that decreases construction cost. So with that, I'll answer any questions you may have. Uh, thanks, Director Mahonen, for, for this presentation. I have a couple of questions. One is um, the anticipated amount of time. Do you envision this? Obviously, we're talking about a specific um, adjustment to the code that's not you know, restrained to a, a certain time frame, but can you talk a little bit about the time anticipated for um, this overnight construction in terms of you know, five days a week, through the whole summer, or, you know, nights or weekdays versus weeknights, um, 
and just kind of a little bit about that. And then um, I'm interested in the decision on 500 feet um, in particular, uh, especially because we know how sound reverberates around uh, our community and if there's been any thought about expanding that a little bit, um, just in consideration of people who may not be within that, that small radius, but still likely affected by louder noises happening in that area. Sure. Thanks. Uh, regarding the notification radius, that number was was taken from other notification criteria used in other instances. It was not based on a sound analysis. Um, if the board would prefer a different dimension in there, we're absolutely receptive to that. Uh, I think we have a lot of flexibility. Uh, today, in an email, I received some updated information from CFL regarding potential time savings associated with nighttime work, but I could not tell you explicitly how many days, how many nights the contractor would, would request to, to pursue this. Um, Neil, did you, did your team, well, I'm sure in the analysis down in the weeds, there's an assumption on number of days that if you have any answer, come on up and speak to it. If you don't, that's okay too. So yeah, the assumption would be that they would be allowed to work um, essentially all weeknights uh, and weekends, um, but we would restrict on holidays and any special events um, you know, during, during the, the contract. So the allowance, the assumption in the analysis was that there's broad discretion opportunity for the contractor to maximize his shortening of the construction impact of the construction season. But until we bid the contract, got a contractor on board and received their construction schedule submittal, I couldn't answer that question more specifically. If the board has concerns on length of duration, we would certainly be receptive to hearing those, understand the more we tighten this up, the less flexibility and the less shortening we experience with the overall length of construction. Um, this kind of goes back to the 500 foot thing. Can you speak a little bit about the process of notification? Is this a door-to-door -door thing? Is this flyers? Is this accessing information through utility billing, um, emails, phone calls, like reverse 911 thing? Like, yeah, what do you do? Have not talked about using reverse 911. That's an interesting idea. Uh, Captain Life and I have discussed uh, this idea earlier this year on a utility project that the contractor was proposing to do some work on Rain Avenue and needed to have a wanted to have a, a full closure of the road. And we said, well, should we talk about nighttime construction? And in that conversation, he mentioned uh, his affinity towards door hangers actually going door to door. That's time consuming, but it's an option we could pursue. If there's a very specific notification action you want us to take, please tell us tonight. Absent any specific direction from you, we would typically use our social media uh, channels and avenues. I understand the need to get this job done. God, it's been forever. Um, the thought of three months every night 
for people that are living within 500 or 750 feet or whatever is is a killer as far as I'm concerned. I, mean, I would probably go ahead and support this, but I really have a lot of concern about that, and I, I think I'm probably not unique in that one. Um, and I would say that notification needs to be often and as effusive as one can make it, just so people really do have an understanding that there ultimately will be a benefit here, i.e. cutting the project short. Um, the other concern that I have, I understand the need, particularly on the loop, and there may be other projects in the future. Um, one of the things that you mentioned in the, under the finance resource impact, was that implementation uh, could save construction costs for both the town on publicly funded projects and residents performing private work in the public right away. I'm not so keen about that. Again, it's a little hard to envision what it might be, but uh, I would have some concerns about the town beginning to look like, as I guess the Transportation Advisory Board said, just sort of coming in and being bullies. And I, I would like to see that as limited or nil, actually. Your concern is shared and noted. Okay, thank you. Relative to the outreach, it struck me, or I seem to recall some sort of construction ambassador relationship management circumstance going through this whole process and it strikes me that the more personal that outreach is as opposed to counting on anybody or everybody catching a clue from whatever media circumstance would would be a real positive point in that regard also would it not be reasonable to expect that either one end or the other or the middle of the project would be a primary focal point of that evening activity? I mean, we're not ultimately looking at demo from the old donut house down to Elkhorn Avenue every night for the entire summer, right? And you're exactly accurate on that. You know, a likely nighttime operation in the summertime could be the paving or the striping so I can easily imagine the need to have warm temperatures the need to get as much production as you can accomplish uh, in a shift and so I can imagine a rotomill uh, grinding up taking the two inches off the pavement starting in the evening uh, for a night or two uh, the paving train coming up for a night or two to put the overlay back down, that uh, striping crew coming in uh, later in that week to, to stripe the, the lane markings on the road. So those are the types of, that's the type of activity that could be fairly lengthy with respect to the limits of the project. Outside of that, we have these isolated curb and up, uh, concrete upgrades and replacements, um, and those could be sequenced in a more concentrated fashion as you described. That would, it's not economically smart for the contractor to be bouncing his crews all around different places. And so they will, they'll logically have a, a, a sequence of operations that would accomplish, I think, what you were describing there, Mayor. Okay. Thank you. Call for any public comment.
Mason or 751 Heinz Parkway. I think part of this could be alleviated perhaps if you had some recorded noise that was approximate and you played it for, nobody knows how bad this is going to be until it gets started. And then I'm afraid you're going to have people calling and say, I can't live in this neighborhood, whether that's true or not. So maybe have one hour of recorded sound a week before and say, this is what it's going to be like at its worst. I think you ought to do ambassador roles as far as handing out noise canceling headphones to the people that are closest, some kind of ear protection. Uh, I think that the people who rent houses short term up in this neighborhood have got to tell their rental people coming in that this is what's potential. I think we need a good schedule. Um, I, I don't like that this is happening in the summer. I hope it's not going on for three months. I just think there's a chance for the people up in that neighborhood to say, that's enough. We've had the barrel, you know, whether or not that's true, blasting music. We've got full throttle that plays music. They've been fairly quiet. I, I think some people will be able to just say, I can't, I'm going to go move away during this if it's light and noise. I also want some reassurance that in the past, they've done blasting work uh, on Big Thompson Avenue, and, and rocks have been thrown hundreds of feet away and gone through people's windows or houses. So make sure that's not on the agenda either, because that at night would just freak people way out. Thank you. Absolutely. One question. The um, working at night, would that, I mean, I know we're trying to speed up the project, absolutely. Um, during the week, or during the day, I mean, in the summer, uh, is that area going to be open at all? I mean, is that stretch between um, Elkhorn and the old donor house, is that going to be totally closed off anyway? No. Um, so we're, it is going to be open not, during the day. We are not proposing. Let me back starting it. Currently, we're not allowing any daytime lane closures during the summer. Okay, so and that's what I was getting to. So working at night would actually help prevent the traffic congestion of precisely. Even if we were to say we want to make this as unrestricted as possible, and we're not going to impose any any restrictions on you, contractor work all day all summer long if you want no don't anyone interpret that as a proposal I'm setting a hypothetical up if we were to take that wild approach the contractor still couldn't get material up there he, he couldn't get rock and concrete and asphalt into the job it's going to take hours to get it up highway 34 and up highway 36 so you know, while we we do impose restrictions there are just practical limitations given who we are and, and popularity that we have. So 
question. Yeah, there so I guess my, my, my question, actually, it, what I was really getting to is, we, if we didn't allow this, um, would it almost make it impossible without closing lanes? I mean, some of this job, some of this work, obviously, sounds like. Well, the restrictions. If, if we if we stay rigid to the, the restrictions that you can have no lane closures on the state highways during the summertime, then they have to do that work on the shoulder seasons, and it just pushes it into three years of, of construction duration. And so that's what we're trying to, to shorten and, and pull back. Um, the estimate uh, was, you know, or, or what we're trying to achieve here is completion um, by June or July in 2024, essentially shave a year off of this if we can. But it's the, the, the nighttime construction by itself would not be sufficient. Uh, you know, I remember the, the thought I had there. You, you talked about full closures on the road. So far, the, the bid documents would not allow that. We're having a discussion with CDOT to evaluate the benefit of some full duration closures on Moraine, for example, with a detour, Tuesday, Wednesday, and through midweek in the winter. We can see there, there may be some expediency benefits to, to doing something like that. It's not on the table to, to talk about in the summertime. Uh, I don't necessarily have questions, just a few comments. Um, this is appropriate time for me to do that. I think, um, in full disclosure, I'm a resident of Davis Hill. Um, and I think this is such a balance between um, resident needs and comfort and appeal versus impact to our businesses and certainly costs to the community. So I think finding, understanding that there needs to be some compromise there um, and for the greater good um, that, that we need to probably consider this. Um, I would love to see a pretty detailed and phased approach or process for sharing with uh, all of the neighbors who would be affected by this, not just on Davis Hill, but certainly there are several others. Um, and whether that's kind of conditioning people to understand that, hey, on the Friday before, here's the next week's construction plan and who we anticipate it'll impact. Um, training people to anticipate that and, and then hopefully as construction goes on, it doesn't require you know, door-to-door -door knocking or some of those more personal moments, but um, at certainly tackling that from a more assertive approach head-on um, would be appealing to me and I think would really help um, ease this in for residents in the area. On that note, I, I certainly would like for the board to consider a wider radius than the 500 feet, um, particularly for residential property. I don't know if we want to drill down to that level of specificity. Most businesses in that area are closed by 9 p.m. or extremely close to it. Um, even the ones serving alcohol were typically more late night establishments. And even in the summer, um, they close up shop pretty close to that time. So I'd like to consider a wider radius. I don't really know what number to put out there. <laughs> I'd probably say a thousand, but that's another shot in the dark. Um, we do experience downtown a lot of residual noise, um, reflection, and deflection in that area. So um, I'll just say that I'm so prepared to hear it from my neighbors um, if I am to vote in approval of this. Uh, I don't think it's going to be ideal. We, you know, most people in the downtown area, just like most people in Estes, are sleeping with their windows open at night. They get the river noise. They get this you know, nice cool air, all that great stuff. Um, but I would say to just come back to that balance point that living downtown in the summer is already um, with challenges, especially related to transportation. 
Um, it's no secret that I've historically been an advocate of the downtown Estes Loop. Um, as someone who tries to uh, commute or move around the downtown um, corridor in the summer, it's um, can definitely tell you it's much needed. Some sort of solution is much needed. So anyway, all of this is to wrap up that I don't think this is going to make everybody feel happy. But again, it's this balance of um, how do we protect our residents and their ability to live um, comfortably in balance with what we are able to do for our fiscal responsibility, our business impact, um, which I know has been a substantial concern about the loop in particular. So um, all of that is to say, uh, begrudgingly, I think would support this, but I'd like to see us make an amendment to the, to the distance. Thanks. Um, I just have one more comment. Um, in kind of tagging on to Trustee Hamilton's um, comment. I mean, actually, we all know that I've been vocally opposition to the loop, um, but I do think getting it done as soon as possible um, is good for the community and good for the residents, and that's why I would be in favor of it. Um, the distance, I don't, I don't know. Like you, I, don't, I mean, if it's helpful to do that, I wouldn't have a problem with that, but I'm not sure if it would be helpful or not helpful. Um, but the reason I'd be for it is just to get the darn thing over as fast as possible. Is there a way to amend the um, municipal code so that it says something like up to a certain distance if the level of construction warrants it? Because I mean, I'm anticipating that some paving projects might, 500 feet might be adequate, but if there are some more sound intensive, noise intensive processes that maybe Public Works wants to expand their range of Trustee Hazleton, that would be possible. We could write this a little differently and say either up to some amount of feet or a feet in the determination of the town engineer, depending on uh, what the what the impacts of noise are expected to be at what distance. Any of that is possible. If it's a simple enough amendment, then we could do it on the fly tonight. If it's more complicated, then we would go back and Greg, in terms of public works preferences, you know, it, the, the distinction between 500 and 1,000 yards, adding one more discretionary thing that you all have to try to calibrate, it, is it easier to just have that maximum that the board is comfortable with and apply it? I, we're not going to be making liberal use of this provision anyway, so I'm not sure that if, if the board, it's going to be high impact wherever it happens, so if the board is concerned with that, notification distance from a simplicity standpoint, how does public works feel about just having one hard number that may be higher than this than 500? I don't have a strong preference either way. If, if the preference of the board is that we will use our discretionary judgment to notify impacted residents uh, within a radius of up to a thousand feet, that would be fine if you want us to exercise judgment in, in setting that distance or if you want to make it simpler and firm that we will always notify residents when they're within a thousand foot radius. So to go door to door to every house within a thousand feet is not a reasonable expectation, I don't think. My only concern, and I certainly have sympathy for anybody that's going to be impacted by the noise, is that we're coming up with an arbitrary number right now. 500 feet or 
thousand feet. I live above town, downtown. I'm significantly further than a thousand feet away from the construction area, but I know for a fact if I sleep with my windows open, I'll be able to hear this noise. Um, it's not going to be nice. It's not going to be pleasant. It's going to be impactful. And when it comes to notification, I'm, I'm pretty sure that. Put out a Facebook post or run an ad in the newspaper, or you put up a digital messaging sign, or you do whatever you do. The very first night, to Mr. Meisner's comment, the very first night it happens, people are going to know that it's going to suck. <laughs> well, be comfortable for every night that they ultimately end up doing. And to that point, when we use the town's social media channels, we notify what 13,000 subscribers. And so our notification is going well beyond just a 500 foot limit. You know, the, the, we were looking at personal notification on the order of, you know, up of that door-to-door -door type uh, approach. Yeah, when it comes to a specific um, foot marker away from the construction site, I'm not going to lose any sleep on that. I will lose sleep because I won't be able to sleep, but that's okay. Well, that being said, if we had, if you have digital signs, um, it, well, for example, in the data cell and the two entrances, I mean, that these construction would be these nights or something. I mean, that would cover that whole area. And then, you know, even the other neighborhoods, maybe not all of the neighborhoods, but even the neighborhoods maybe where um, Trustee Marching lives, there's certain entrances to those neighborhoods, and having digital signs there, you know, would be, to me. You know, do I pay attention to all this time? Probably not. Right. But then I go, oops, I didn't look at that sign. Um, but that is a way of notifying maybe people that we're not going door to door. And that way we're still covering more than a thousand feet even by doing that. That's sports pleasure. receiving complaints from the community and you're receiving complaints from the community that are 
radius is insufficient, I can guarantee you, you'll be calling me and I'll be talking to the contractor and changing it. So we, this is not static. And we're gonna learn a lot as we go and we can absolutely adjust on the fly as we go. So that option exists as well. The, the or, this proposed uh, modification to the code does not lock us in and limit us to only notifying in that case. I'll also note that there, there are a lot of different ways to notify. We've talked about a number of them today. In, in community development, we regularly send mailings that are generated by uh, GIS mail merge to all the surrounding properties within 100 feet. I don't know where that number came from. And so that the 100 feet notification parameter is what we use for community development. Now, not always it's a, it's different, but there are procedures that we can outreach directly to homes without having to go hang doors. But that's a little more high touch than you know the broader social media posts. So I, I think there's a lot of different strategies that we can employ. Really, from my standpoint, it's what what's that radius for that really close touch and. Director Mahonan's comments, I, unfortunately, we may not know that until we're in the project because of the way sound reverberates in Madison Valley. It could be in a way that it's outside, it's 1,001 feet, or it may be the person right next door because of the way the sound is traveling up. Uh, the, the cliff faces over there is not bothered, but somebody further back is. So I think that whatever the maximum amount is, it's not saying that the town does this, you know, Greg and Proves it and it's done, and we're not going to take any more responsibility for that. It, it really evolves and is fluid with the situation and how people are responding and reacting and what their quality of life is like. So, this is really the, the basement level. This is the bare minimum to start. It's no less than, you know, in five years, if we're doing another project like this, and Greg and I are, we won the lottery in, off in Alaska at a compact. What, what is going to be the bare minimum that's asked of the notification? And I'll also just note that whether it's 500, 1,000, or any number, the type of notification is left flexible for the town engineer to determine. So they could always determine we're going to have one type of notification within one radius and then a more robust type of notification within a smaller radius. I'm okay with everything. I, I actually think that they don't want the complaints. I don't think that Bertram Home wants complaints. I definitely don't think that um, that Travis wants complaints. So yeah, I think that they're pretty good about notifying people if it becomes a problem. And yeah, I would say even more than complaints, we, we don't want to unreasonably negatively impact people's lives. We want to do everything we can to mitigate the impact, recognizing the benefits on the other side and be open to those dialogues. So it, it's, yeah, we don't want to get complaints that that's not fun, but it also, we recognize that this is impactful and we want to make sure that there's a, a way for people to know who's, who they can talk to if they have a challenge and how we can problem solve. I think I don't agree, is that at the end of the day more people are going to hear it outside whatever distance we put in that I know Greg and your team is going to just do a fabulous job of making sure that people are 
are educated and communicated to as you always do. I think where we're at right now is um, if it were me as a resident or as a citizen reading this and thinking 500 feet is like peanuts. So that I think is a little bit about perception and how we want to be showing that all this discussion is supportive of like this is not ideal it's nobody's we're not going to use it all the time all of these things that we've already said but we're trying to put some stuff into place that makes it feel um, like we're paying attention to the impact it's going to have so that would be uh, again what if, if Mayor Pro Tem Robert Meyer is ready to close the public hearing if we're done at this point in discussing and consider a motion that would probably be the direction it would go into um, really just drive the point home that we understand is going to be impactful and we're looking to bring as many people into the fold and over communicate so that people are aware of the impacts and know that we're thinking about them as part of this process. So. I agree, let's move forward. Would ultimately or could ultimately this, <clears throat> this particular ordinance sunset at a specific time following or would that call for an action to pull that back following the construction to allay any concerns relative to this being a forever and ever on end sort of thing. Yeah, I, I, it doesn't have a sunset provision now. The board could certainly revisit it depending on how this goes and if it's a complete disaster, which it won't be, I feel confident <laughs> saying. If it's a complete disaster, and the board says that's that's not no matter what, that's not going to be acceptable for this board moving forward. We can always amend the ordinance back and say that this is not, you know, this this this. We understand why it was needed for this project. We're not willing to entertain future projects. Perfect. So I, I would yeah I would say that if you know, we could always schedule a, a, an after action after the construction is done to see how it went or board's hearing a lot about it, um, put it on the docket for conversation after we've experimented with it, with this project, and know if it's something we want to continue to do. So I, I would not, I would say I would not want to put it a sunset provision in there, because that in, inherently tells me that, well, we're, we only want it for this project, and we know that there may be value for another, so I would prefer that if the board's looking at this, we look at it as there are reasonable way there's reasonable reasons to use this sort of provision moving forward not just for this project but potentially for other projects and only take uh, reversal action if it's not workable after we've had an experience with it. got it further board comment further public comment Jackie, has there been any communication received in regard to the item which are not in the board packet? Nothing additional. Anybody else out there that wants to say anything? It does not appear so. Trustees, I assume there's no further questions. If that's a full assumption, hit your button now. Otherwise, I'll indicate that all reports, statements, exhibits, and written communications presented will be accepted as part of the record. And I declare the public hearing closed and request the board consider a motion. Can you correct me on this if I, it's not appropriate or it doesn't fit what you need to hear? So I would move that we approve ordinance 14-22 with the amendment of 
1,000 feet for this specific uh, line. Uh, 1,000 feet of the nighttime work zone received. Of the work occurring. Yeah, thank you. What he said. Mm -hmm. <laughs> do we have a motion? Do we have a second? I'll second. Motion and a second. Mayor Pro Tem, if I could just rephrase to make sure we're all on the same page and for posterity. So where it says 500 feet in the ordinance in the second line of the last paragraph of section two, that 500 feet would be struck, 1,000 feet would be inserted in its place, and it's a motion with that uh, change for passage of the ordinance. So noted.